this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on the Relax Back UK show. You are one in over a million. You really are, because UK Health Radio has over one million listeners each month, and that's a lot of people. Okay, so I hope the summer's going well for you. I hope you're enjoying the school holidays and your children aren't too bored. My eldest has been listening to lots of podcasts, actually, and I asked if she'd uh, listen to any of my Relax Back UK shows she was kind of non-committal but if you want to listen to a few more and you want to maybe listen to some of the past shows that's easy to do you can go to the uk health radio website uh, find me on the presenter list that's me mike dilk where i'm on the list of presenters and click the relax back uk show and all the past available shows will uh, be there so you can click on any one you want to listen to or you can go to my website which is relaxbackuk.com click on the radio tab and you can see all the topics that are there and uh, if you click on those topics you can get a short video by way of an intro and you can really see why I've chosen uh, radio. I, I, you will see that I do actually have the face for radio. My guest today for this week is Dr Callie Seaman from Aqualabs and also Medcan Support. She is an expert in hydroponics and also how medicines derived from cannabis can help many, many people. Things like barbiturates, uh, things like your opiates, you can't overdose on this. It doesn't connect to the system where it stops you breathing. She herself suffers from epilepsy and uses prescribed cannabis medicines and is also a great guest and wonderful to listen to. So please do hang around for a great show. Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with this week's guest, Callie Seaman, and she has a PhD. And my, my, my first question to her was, what is your PhD actually in? Uh, Fertiliser chemistry. So I actually did my PhD. It was in hydroponics and we were exploring the movement of elements and the effects of those actual elements that are fed to the plants uh, on their production of things like secondary metabolites and how they're metabolised through the actual plant. Um, so I'm a plant chemist as such uh, okay. and looking at the, 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 the biochemistry of those and the compounds that they're producing, particularly medicinal plants. All right. So are a lot of plants that we use and eat and all the rest of it actually grown using hydroponics at the minute? Or I always thought hydroponics was a bit kind of sci-fi. Oh, yeah. It's definitely sci-fi, but a lot of people don't realise that 80% of the produce in supermarkets is hydroponically grown. So the reason we have strawberries in the middle of winter is because they're hydroponically grown in, say, Spain. So hydroponics is the growth of plants without soil. So you replace the soil with something like 
sand or rock wool, like the insulation material that you put into your roof. Or you can grow it in pure water as well. So you, you've got something called deep water culture. Um, but yeah, everybody does associate it with that kind of sci-fi feeling. And it is what we will use if we go to other planets in order to be able to sustain ourselves mm. and produce um, food for the future. You just said something. A percentage of our food that we buy in a supermarket grown with hydroponics. What what was that figure? Was it eighty? That was eighty percent. It it was. I would have to actually check the actual statistics now, um, because everybody's becoming a lot more aware of organics. So that they're they're actually being more aware of how their food is being grown and actually requesting organic food. And this is primarily what the difference is is when you buy something that's organic it tends to be um grown in a, in a manner where pesticides aren't used um but things like your tomatoes and your cucumbers uh, and peppers majority of those that you find in the supermarkets are hydroponically grown within a greenhouse goodness me so i would okay this is a man in the street question now because i I'm, i don't know much about this stuff i would have thought if you grow say your tomatoes in water there's much less chance of little buggy things eating them before we can. So you could grow things in water, hydroponics, and call it organic. Could you? Well, this is this is the really kind of strange grey area with it all. So the, the idea of organics is that you're not using any process fertilizers. Hydroponics does require process fertilizers. You can use organic fertilizers with it, um, but it can cause more problems such as algal growth in there as well. So there's this kind of balancing act between the two. But basically, hydroponics, the, the, the true definition of it is, is uh cultivation without soil it's soilless cultivation so yes you could not a problem so if you replaced the, the soil with say hay that would be organics but it's all about what you're putting onto it and how it's been sourced as well oh fascinating i think that we might have to come back for another whole program on this because <laughs> we've sort of uncovered an area which i i hadn't really realized that you were an, an expert on so fascinating let's let's um let's park that <laughs> and kind of move on to what I was thinking we might uh, chat about. And really, this kind of is related to your MedCan support, which uh, is, is that a charity that you set up? Well, yes, it's a community interest uh, company that we've set up at the beginning of this year. Um, it actually just started uh, at the beginning of lockdown as a, a kind of Facebook group where we brought together. Uh, there was Matt Hughes who actually initially started this um, with Hannah Deakin, who is one of the parents whose child has received one of the first um, medical cannabis prescriptions on the NHS and they came together and they'd actually actually had to teach themselves about cannabis and about those um the, the medicines and what's involved because there was nothing out of there they'd gone to the netherlands and looked elsewhere and wanted to bring together all the knowledge that they had gained and help to support other families with children with refractory epilepsy because they'd seen such a positive effect that it had on their children they asked me to join the team because I was part of a, a licensed cultivation facility within the UK and been working with a number as well. And I happen to be epileptic as well, which it, it, as an adult, I can give a true perspective on that. Right. So we came together with Jade Proudman as well of Savage Cabbage and we'd formed this group Savage that was, was helping. 
What a great oh, name for a company that is. All right. Oh, fantastic. Um, Jade has a, a wealth of knowledge. Um, she's been to the States. And if you come across Charlotte's Web, um, Charlotte uh, Fig was one of the first actual children that it was really put into the media about her epilepsy and the, the Stanley brothers actually growing cannabis and extracting it so that she could use it to help to control her epilepsy. Um, and this is one of the first kind of original stories that came along. And one of the kind of first inspirations for myself as well uh, to really sort of take this further. And okay, as uh -huh. I say, we all came together um, to form this group to help educate parents because there's very little information out there that is is good and factual. Yeah. A lot okay, of it so, is by... So the, su the uh, summary kind of is uh, MedCan stands for Medicinal Cannabis and your interest is, is from two areas really in that you have epilepsy and these medicines help you personally, I guess, right now. And also, you have a skill, big skill that you can bring to the table because you're an expert at, at um, growing, growing things in, in different ways, growing things in water. Just uh, you're an expert in growing things. So um, this all seems to come to, together perfectly naturally. Yes, it, it was almost like it was fate. <laughs> well, look, let, let's let's talk about actually growing cannabis then, because I to have medicines derived from cannabis, you've actually got to grow the stuff in the first place. How do you do that? I mean, so in this country, presumably you can't just start growing it because you need a special license or something. Is that right? That's correct. Now, yes, cannabis is, is actually a scheduled drug. So in order to actually cultivate, consume, or even possess, you require a license to do that. Um, now we've got the, in 2018, there was a change in the law. So actually the medicinal cannabis could be prescribed. Um, it, it's strange how it took us till 2018 for that to actually occur when this has been around for thousands of years. But to actually cultivate in this country, there's two forms of licenses. You're probably familiar with hemp which is used for bedding, um, which is used to actually feed animals as well, can be turned into hempcrete. This is one type of license. And these are very low in the medicinal compounds, so the compounds that are active and help people medicinally. And you're not allowed to actually extract from those. That's one kind of license. So you've got that industrial hemp. You've then got um, the what they call high THC, uh, anything above, well, they're classifying anything above you point two percent to be high THC. And that's a different form of license that's required. And that the actual produce then can have the oils extracted from it so that they can be used and turned into medicines. So um, THC and THC is the, the stuff that is active in the plant. That's one of the active compounds. And this is the amazing thing about cannabis. This everybody knows about THC. And um, this is what uh, everyone knows about that creates that stoned effect that, that gets you high. It is the psychotropic effect that uh, um, affects. We then have CBD, which also is um, psychoactive, not psychotropic, but it, it has more of an anti-inflammatory effect is one of the effects. And it works in conjunction with THC. And then we've got other compounds such as CBG. We've got CBC. And there are 140 different cannabinoids within cannabis. Then we've not even moved on to the terpenes. 
So we've got something called terpenes, which are what produce the smell. Now, you're probably very familiar with these. So when you've got lavender in your garden, it's producing that lovely, distinctive lavender smell. That's a terpene called lilalol, which has, again, another medicinal effect. You've got other things like camphrine. You've got um, pinene, which pine trees produce. That's that distinctive pine smell. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, again, there are, there are hundreds of terpenes as well. And then we've got flavonoids and we'll not go into all the other compounds, but all of these compounds work together to actually have more of a benefit than the individual compounds such as CBD alone. And these are within the oils that's found in the flowers of the plants. Okay, goodness me. So are there different types of cannabis plant then? Because at the start you said there's hemp. Is that one different sort of cannabis plant, which is, you know, has these other uses that you described? So you've got what's known as strains, just like how you've got potatoes, you've got a Jersey Royal and you've got a Morris Piper. You've got exactly the same in the cannabis world. You've got different varieties of it. And that's usually to do with where it comes from, where it's derived from. So if it's come from Afghanistan or if it's come from Europe and these different kind of strains have got different ratios of the compounds which I mentioned and these will also grow in different manners depending on where they're actually uh, derived from where they actually sort of come from but now there's been a lot of hybridization of these so there's been a lot of crossing of them to actually produce um what's known as hybrids so you don't have what you, as many of your land racers or you don't have those uh, pure breeds that as such so it, we kind of in a simple terms we separate into indicas and sativas so your indicas tend to be a lot shorter and um, they tend to be a, a lot uh, shorter flowering time. And then you've got your sativas, which tend to be a lot bigger plants. And again, this all depends where they're actually derived from. And these, the, both these plants will produce different ratios. But because these have been actually crossed so many times now, it's hard to actually say if something's a, a, an indica or sativa. You've got hybrids and it right. should be more looked at the predominant cannabinoids are within that plant or if it's this, broadly... this is sounding like gardener's question time on radio four now <laughs> of which i'm an avid fan but um <laughs> having said that this is if i was to start growing this stuff in my back garden this this would be illegal so that so we'll, we'll move away from the gardener's question time idea but effectively i guess so, so some of these plants are better medicinally than others or possibly better for medicines for different things is that is that right correct so it's very dependent on the person um so yourself have everybody one every single one of us has what's known as an endocannabinoid system within you it is what helps to reduce stress down so when you actually experience a high amount of stress, you release a number of chemicals uh, such as adrenaline, which go very high, which which help you at that point in time. The endocannabinoid system helps to bring that back into balance, back into what's known as homeostasis. And it, it helps also with communication between the different systems within the body as well. Unfortunately, this isn't actually taught within medical school the endocannabinoid system but that is changing thanks to people like the mccs they are helping 
to actually talk to doctors about that. And this is part of what we want to do at MedCan support as well, is to help to bring it to the public's attention and bring it to doctors' attention and nurses' attention and all healthcare workers so that they can learn about this, so they can understand the potential of cannabis. I now, suppose, I mean, each plant will have... Sorry, I, I interrupted you there, but I'll I, I, I carry on. I, I think it must be um, kind of this sort of medicine potentially tarnished with the brush of, oh, it's illegal. We can't possibly um, use that or be interested in that because it's illegal. Therefore, if you know, you're not a real doctor if you think this is potentially um, interesting or useful for your patients. You've hit the nail on the head there. This is this is part of the problem. The stigma associated with um, the actual recreational world, because that's what what where it's it's very popular, and that's actually where the stigma has been attached. There was a lot of prohibition occurred in the US that actually then fell over here into the UK as well, and this was happening back in the 1950s, and there, there was this this whole kind of prohibition connected to it which actually stopped it being prescribed and used medicinally. And it was seen as um, the word marijuana, it was used actually as propaganda against and racism against the Mexicans, um, you know, associated with being lazy, not getting anything done. And this stigma stuck to it. And so doctors kind of dismissed its use and things such as aspirin came along, which was a much more stronger painkiller things like morphine as well which actually there was an individual compound there and was able to deal with the problem much quicker cannabis works in a very different way it's all about bringing balance and needing to actually regularly consume in order to bring balance to your your system cannabis itself is not this big silver bullet all of a sudden but if used correctly can certainly improve lives and I've seen it actually cure cancer as well. And I'm saying that quite loosely so when I say cure cancer. It's something that needs to be done over a period of time. And it's only certain types. And a maintenance dose needs to be actually given with that. So it's, it, it, it doesn't cure it completely. But what it will do is with maintenance, it keeps it at bay. All right. We might have to return to that. I, I often ask my guests uh, for published papers uh, and work done, all that sort of thing. So. We'll, we maybe maybe come back to that um, yeah. uh, with a warning. I will be asking. You, you papers, may want to add. <laughs> yes, I um, can give you lots of papers on epilepsy. Not a problem. The cancer one, there is there is papers on it, um, but it's still, yeah, it's still very much in its. There's a lot more work he's doing on that. I okay. believe as well. All right. Let, so let's just talk about sort of actually your your work with Aqualabs. So is a, is a lot of your work to look at how to increasing the yield uh, of the particular plants that are of interest for making individual medicines. Like you, you, you were talking about hydroponics. Is that what you spend a lot of your time doing? Yes, exactly that. So it's looking at stress techniques. Basically, you need to first look at the genetics of the plant and what that genetic potential is. If the plant doesn't have the genetic makeup to produce a particular compound, say THCV, which is very good for uh, treating epilepsy, you will never get the plant to produce that. So first thing is the genetics of the plant and then enhancing the growing environment. So a lot of these compounds 
hormones are produced, these what we call secondary metabolites, are produced as a defense mechanism to the plant. So because a plant is being attacked by something, it may produce the terpenes to, as an insecticide or to deter insects from actually attacking it. Um, the actual cannabinoids with them are produced as a sunscreen. So what they found if um, plants that are actually subjected to high levels of radiation will increase in levels of THC and other cannabinoids in there. So part of what I do is actually look at all of these conditions and look at these kind of stress techniques, such as drought as well, to help enhance the particular compounds of interest within the plant mm -hmm. at the same time as increasing the biomass that's needed. Yeah. All right. So biomass, you mean just the, the yield, how much of the stuff these plants make? Yes. OK, I, I was thinking about this. Some of this information could be um, of interest to the wrong sort of people. I mean, because undoubtedly there are people that grow these plants to sell them uh, illegally. Um, so is, is there an element of secrecy of what you do in what you do? <laughs> I've been working in the, the hydroponic industry now for 20 years and I have heard a lot of what I have done. I, I have taught a lot of people how to grow cannabis over the years and I'm not ashamed of that anymore. A lot of sick people, a lot of people who wanted to just self-medicate and not have to associate themselves with the criminal element of it. They wanted to be self-sufficient and grow a couple of plants so that they could treat their ailments themselves and not have to deal with with that unfortunately yes you're right there is a criminal element to it and th there is large gangs but hopefully through this bringing it to the mainstream and allowing people to understand more of this and these clinics that are being set up so people can go and can get it from a reliable source and know exactly what they're actually getting so they know if it's high in THC or they know what the terpene profile is within it and things are changing I believe that people should be allowed to grow their own. You know, they should be allowed to be self-sufficient. Um, however, there's always, you, with any industry, DVDs, there was a criminal element to it where there was um, people copying those many years ago as well. Um, but how we tackle this, uh, uh, it is, is a difficult one. Yeah. And things are changing. Again, it, it could be the, <laughs> the topic of another show, actually, because this is yeah. a vast area, isn't it? A huge area. One, one thing Massive I am in, area. Yeah. One, one thing I am really interested in for you personally, how this your interest in this field started, because you, you actually have a, a medical um, use for this, don't you? Yes. Um, I, at the age of 15, I was I had a, a seizure at school. Um, what we, a grand mal, a tonic colonic seizure at school, and was diagnosed with having a low threshold to epilepsy. I was very quickly put onto a drug called camazepam. Uh, sorry, no, camazepine, not camazepam, I apologize, camazepine. And I was very quickly put onto that. And my dad didn't, he didn't like it at all. He, did, he didn't like the way that the, the, the doctors weren't really interested in me. They were very just, oh, we'll just up the dose. They didn't really sort of look at my lifestyle at all and he consumed cannabis for a number of years and introduced me to it then and this was back in 1995 this was before published work on the endocannabinoid system had occurred this was before we really knew 
the, the science behind the endocannabinoid system. And he always encouraged me to, rather than drinking, to consume cannabis to help control seizures. I carried on doing that for many years, came off the camazepine, and... and um, Did that work? Didn't really suffer many seizures. That worked for you? Yes, it did. It kept them, it, it kept them under control. Um, it, it stopped me drinking as well. Um, so I stayed away from alcohol. The, the, the way I knew that it was actually working is when I was um, I was completing my PhD when I was 37 and I actually stopped consuming uh, in order to write up to try and finish that um, due to the amount of stress I was having then as well. I started having seizures again and actually smashed my face up um, from collapsing in a toilet um, and hit my head on the sink on the way down and smashed my tooth. And um, at this point, I was still in very much in denial. Uh, and it wasn't until I got involved in this medicinal side of things and saw um, Carly Barton speaking in the House of Parliament and saw um, Anna Deakin speaking about her son, did I actually start to realise that I'd been using this many years medicinally and not realise I had been. Okay, all right. Well, so that's, that's, that's interesting. So, but did you use it as a, as a recreational thing as well? I used to use it so I would sleep on a night. So it would be just how somebody would have a glass of wine on an evening. Um, it, it would be, I, I didn't drink. And I, would, I would have a smoke instead. Me and my husband would do that uh, on an evening once my son was in bed. So, yeah, yes, you could say it was recreational. But I actually found out I was using it medicinally. I now have a prescription. I went to um, at the beginning of this year. Unfortunately, what I received in my prescription was was not what I was expecting it was of lower quality than I expected but what it did do was fuel the fire to help improve this and help improve the access for people who, who you know aren't able to actually produce their own they're not able to do this and um, so I wanted to actually help improve the standards that we've got in this country and help to put those standards into place so that people are getting consistent products yeah so that's interesting so it it is now legal you said you can prescribe this or people can prescribe this since what was the date 2018 you said correct yes yeah. 2018 november 2018 yeah so but if people do get this stuff uh these, these sort of medicines on prescription you're saying they're they're quite variable so that i mean that's that's uh, that's not a great situation is it what um you're right. It's not a good situation we're in at the moment, but we're in a very much in the infancy of this industry in this country. We've got a lot to learn. We're looking at countries like Australia and Denmark and Europe as well. And over in the US and how they're dealing with it. Canada is, is another prime example. We've got a lot to learn here and a lot of process to put into place because this is still it's still, as I say, at its infancy. And I'm hoping to be somebody who will help to put those changes into place and to put that regulation into place that we so desperately need. So medicines that are produced from the cannabis plant, um, I mean, they must be available internationally. So if, if some countries are much better at, at producing um, medicines and they're produced consistently, so you know from one month to the next that, you know, this, this, this medicine, actually, how do you take it? Is it a pill? It's in many forms. Right, so okay. you can get it as, as an oil. So you can use it as a tincture that you would use sublingually. So you put it under the tongue. Yeah. Um, you can also um, 
There's also flour. So that's the distinctive as what you know is, is, is like the flour, which then can be placed into a vaporizer. You can, it can be in the form of gummies. It could be a, a pill as well. Um, so it could be ground so that people can take it. But the effects are quite different if you're actually vaporizing uh, in comparison to taking it orally. Because when you're actually taking uh, cannabis or any cannabinoids, cannabinoids orally, it goes in and it's processed through the liver. So you produce an 11-hydroxy form of this, which is a very different compound to how THC is decarboxylated in, uh, from the acid form to uh, the um, decarboxylated form, it's then absorbed through the lungs and then goes to the brain and has the effect there. And the, the, the actual effects are a lot shorter as well. So there are different forms, and this again is what we're doing at MedCan Support. We're helping to educate people about the different forms, particularly for children. A lot of those are sublingually, so there are oil forms that they receive theirs, and it's a lot easier to dose that than sure. using a vaporizer. That tends to be more for pain, so for a, an instant relief, and people find it to be very good for that. Okay, so uh, yeah, I was saying if these things, these different drugs are available, internationally um and in countries have been that have been using them for a while is there not a system of making sure that they're all consistent in, in, in other countries that we can kind of piggyback on or you know copy we're looking towards doing that yes i think what one of the things that we really do need is a domestic supply what we need is it to be produced in this country because what a lot of the holdups are is actually coming into the country and going through importation as well. And then you've got a number of layers there as well. So you've got companies that are involved in doing that that are all taking a slice off as well. So it's actually increasing the cost of the product as well as the traveling of the product. My actual prescription, the flower itself came from Australia all the way from Australia. Australia to here to get to me which I find insane I find it absolutely <laughs> insane when we could be producing this in this country reducing down the air miles on it reducing down the carbon footprint and actually creating an industry in this country itself um, and it being made you know within this country to the needs of the people within this country instead of it coming all the way from another country that it's just kind of right that's what we can get hold of that's what we, we will bring into the country and make available to the patients and so that must that process must put the price up as well you know if it's if if your medicine's coming from australia you know bringing it all that way is going to make it more expensive and actually, I've been speaking to other people about the cost of this medicine. So some people can get it um, on prescription from the NHS and some people have to buy it privately. And they were talking about hundreds of pounds a month. And that seemed kind of strange to me because essentially, you know, you, you grow it. OK, you need some expertise to grow it. And uh, those are available in the country. You know, you've got them. I'm sure other, other people can do it as well but um you know you grow the stuff and then you you have to convert that into a medicine of some sort but it just surprised me that the end result was so expensive what what what's going on there why is it so expensive so there's a number of reasons so usually a lot of these um facilities are indoor facilities 
So they will use artificial light to grow them, to make them more secure. And we spoke about the hygiene side of things. At hydroponics, you can be in a lot more control of the bugs there. So there's less need to use for um, pesticides. But because it's an indoor facility and artificial light that has an electricity bill that goes with it, you've then got that time that it actually takes to produce. So it can be a 12-week cycle is, a, is an average so that over that period of time, that's a lot of energy that's being used to do that. There's then the man hours that go into that as well. So the labor that's involved in actually then turning that into a medicine. The problem with the importing is, is you've got importing charges there as well. So you've got all of these layers that go on top. Hence why the need for the domestic supply is needed. And um, then you're, you haven't got the transportation costs. You're going to need special transportation because this is a controlled substance. So you can't just let anybody, you know, you can't just put it, you know, give it to Royal Mail and, you know, £5.50 and send it on its way. It's, it really does need to be. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, my, my experience is the Royal Mail is, is a lot more expensive than that at the moment. <laughs> I, I've had some shock <laughs> with the Royal Mail recently. But anyway, that's, 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 that's one side. All right. So, you know, this all adds up uh, and, and it does become yeah. prohibitive for people that would find this uh, particularly useful. Um, all right, let's, Definitely. Let's and particularly for families of children with refractory epilepsy, their oils, uh, at one point it was costing some of the families nearly £2,000 a month in order to um, be able to have the prescriptions. And you mentioned there are very few prescriptions on the NHS. Majority of, I would say, 90%, if not more, 95% of the prescriptions are private. So on top of that, not only have you got to pay for the prescription, you've got to pay to see the doctor in order to get the prescription as well. And these all add up and it's it's really not fair. It does. It does seem that because it helps so many people. So I, I anecdotally, I've been talking to people and, and it really does seem to improve the lives of a lot of people. Uh, not only that, say, you know, if an epileptic, say, because of these medicines, they're not going to hospital a lot, which is expensive. They can work, you know, so they, they can pay taxes. It, it you know, it, it seems like a crazy thing not to pursue. But let, let's just, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, some of the things that it helps people with. So you're, you yourself, you're an epileptic, so it helps you with epilepsy. Um, you mentioned cancer. Uh, what other things uh, have, has can it potentially help people with? Oh, everything. Uh, when I say everything, and you, it's sometimes when you start reading that about sound it, sounds very it, scientific. I have to say, Kelly. <laughs> no. So anxiety is a good one. Right. Uh, depression it can help with. It pain is a really big helping with pain management and reduction in the use of opioids, reduction in the use of really addictive drugs, which are causing liver damage as well. It can help with fibromyalgia. It can help with, um, I've actually seen um, videos of helping with Parkinson's disease. I've, I've seen numerous um, different diseases it, it to help with. It's not, as I say, it is not the silver bullet. It is a quality of life improver. So it can help nausea as well, um, particularly people who are doing chemotherapy. It helps with the nausea. It's there to reduce that down. For me, it helps with insomnia. 
apnea as well. So it helps me to sleep. One of the golden rules of being an epileptic is sleep. You must sleep. Cannabis helps with my sleep and to keep me having, you know, naturally good, uh, high quality sleep, which may sound bizarre, but it, I need high quality sleep, you know, undisturbed. Um, it, the, the list goes on and on and on. And it, it is also, I also believe that it is nutrition for the body. We have this, what I've spoke about, the endocannabinoid system. And actually maintaining that can just be help to give you a, a wellness, you know, a, a maintenance such as you take your supplements like your cod oil for your omega-3s. CBD, it can be the same, that it is a supplement that just helps to maintain this homeostasis within your body. Okay. Now, at, at the start of the chat, I mentioned that I like um, papers and scientific peer-reviewed papers. And you said, yeah, there's plenty of uh, epilepsy. So research has actually happened for epilepsy, has it? And what, what sort of... Um, what, there's what there's research. Oh, in the last... So there's been a big change in the last kind of three years. The amount of papers being published has run up more than... 100%. Um, got a very interesting paper that actually talks about this, um, the, the, the change between, we've got uh, it between 2015 and 2020, mm. the, the actual amount of papers been published on cannabis and the effects on things like uh, cancer, the effects on epilepsy, the effects on pain management. There is there's such a breadth out there of these different papers on different ailments and the effects on it. But yet, for some reason in this country, we keep being told there's not enough research. The problem is, it's so obsessed with what's known as random, random RCTs, randomized controlled trials. Now, as I mentioned, that there are hundreds of compounds within cannabis. There are... Uh, um, and these will work together to produce something what's known as the entourage effect. Random controlled trials do not work with the entourage effect. It just the, 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 those kinds of trials don't take this into kind of consideration because there's too many variables in it. It likes one control, one substance, so we can have one outcome from it or two outcomes. Very simple. What we need is real world evidence. And uh, MedCan support is something else. What we're trying to do is actually bring studies together to actually provide this. And we've been part with drug science. We've been part of some of those studies to actually provide this real world evidence and the effects on seizure control within children. OK, so you're saying there's a there's a, a, a difficulty with doing effectively double blind studies because of the, the, the number of active ingredients in, in these medicines. Correct. Uh, yes. Uh, okay, but could, I mean, could you not have very well controlled medicines that have the same high number of active controlled substances and do a double blind study using that? The 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 way that they work, as I say, cannabis does not fit into this. It doesn't fit into the, the this model which is accepted within this country. Um, it, it's real world evidence. It, it's a little bit like if you're uh, looking at food. Um, you wouldn't do randomized controlled studies on the effects of carrots on your health. It, it would be real world evidence that's used. And uh, we do need to, this needs to be taken more into consideration. And I think it's actually getting the doctors to be more comfortable with this medicine and have a better understanding of it 
And that's part of it as well as the education and the actual just knowing about the endocannabinoid system itself. All right. So we, 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 we've spoken about um, testing these medicines. And again, that's another big area. Uh, you know, I would be fascinated to revisit that at some point. Um, I don't know anything about testing drugs, but I'm sure there's a statistician out there somewhere who does <laughs> uh, and has done work on uh, <laughs> medicines produced from cannabis. So if you're listening, or indeed, if you know one, Kelly, that, that could be quite an interesting chat to have uh, in the future. But let me ask another question. At the start of the discussion, you, you, you mentioned cancer and uh, potentially using mm -hmm. these sorts of medicines to alleviate cancer or well, I see you said cure cancer. Now, I can imagine them being used to help people if they're suffering from pain or if they are suffering from the side effects of some of the treatments for cancer. But actually curing cancer, I think I might be uh, struggling with that a little bit. So tell us a bit more about that. So, yeah, this is this is one that I when I first saw this, it can cure. No, don't be silly. Don't know. Don't don't know. Don't so doing some reading, and somebody called Rick Simpson, and he did the whole um, book he wrote about Phoenix Tears and about producing a highly concentrated oil um, from the actual cannabis plant that is is what's known as a whole plant extract. It's got everything in, everything in the warts as well. So it's got all of the terpenes, it's got all of the cannabinoids in there, and a sixty day treatment. Um, you actually taking 90 grams of this over a period of time has been shown to reduce tumors. I've known people to actually put it onto skin cancer and it to actually the skin cancer to disappear. Now, this is, I know it sounds absolutely crazy, but there is more studies need to be done into this. I've seen it happen. And I know people who have to regularly have maintenance dose. Uh, Callie Blackwell is a, another prime example of her son and actually giving it to her son. And um, I, I would encourage anybody to read One in a Million, a book, you know, what, the boy One in a Million that, that Callie actually wrote. It was a, an amazing journey that she went through when her son had been diagnosed with cancer at a young age and she decided to start giving it him. And the cancer started to recede. The tumours started to actually get smaller. And there are, a new, there are hundreds of people and hundreds of these stories. And I still don't understand to this day why it's not being investigated further in this country. And all we're doing is either using radiotherapy or chemotherapy. It's, it's crazy. Why shouldn't we try this when there's never been one recorded um, fatality from the use of cannabis you know if you if you have too much it can be a little bit of an unpleasant experience but you go to sleep and wake up and it everything's fine it's impossible to overdose on this there is no toxicity to it um as i say it, it can cause you to feel a bit sick and dizzy and need to go to sleep and at the time it can feel like you're dying but you're not going to die. You physically, unlike things like barbiturates, uh, things like your opiates, you can't overdose on this. It doesn't connect to the system where it stops you breathing. Right. Well, cer certainly a lot of uh, drugs aimed at, at, at pain, painkillers, you know, you can overdose on those. And there, there's a, you know, that's a big problem at the moment, isn't it? So 
goodness me, we have covered a lot of stuff there. Absolutely uh, fascinating. And, and possibly open the door to discuss a few more topics in a bit more uh, depth. But really interesting, Kelly. Thank you so much. Um, what I think people might find useful is if they've been listening to this and thinking, actually, you know, my child suffers from epilepsy or I suffer from epilepsy. Uh, perhaps something like this can help me. Um, a couple of times you've mentioned MedCan support. Um, and so if people want to get a bit more information, uh, is that a good resource for them? I would highly recommend it. It goes through everything from the basics of what cannabis is, talks about the different compounds on there. There's links to actually peer-reviewed journals on there. So we, we've, we've actually put a section on there so people can actually go and get their hard research. We're not just sort of, this is not anecdotal. We're actually providing research that they can take to their doctors. So they've got uh, any questions that they want to take to their doctors about their condition and present this data to them and show them and, and, and get them to the doctors to start questioning this being used as a medicine. And if they can then start prescribing it. Um, We've also got uh, links to uh, support groups as well. So there's a whole support group there of other parents who are in similar situations who understand what it's like to care for a child with epilepsy. And if, if cannabis is something you're considering as part of your regime and part of the, the medicine, we can help there. And it goes through the different kinds of medicines, how it's actually extracted. And we talk about the family life as well. And we've just recently took on board a, a new ambassador, uh, Mel Sykes, which we're really, really excited about um, and we're going to be you know helping to educate people more um, the, there's a number of different places to look but you can check out myself Dr Callie Seaman on any of kind of the social media platforms as well um, and, and give me a follow and you can you can reach out to me if you, you need any kind of advice or help I'm here to help okay and what's the website of MedCan support is it, if you just google MedCan support do you go straight to it Yes, it'll get you there straight away. And we'll, as I say, again, we've got Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. That's where it really started was, was Facebook. Put, but put MedCan support in, you'll find us no problems. Okay, lovely. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Absolutely fascinating. Not a problem. It's been a pleasure. So many thanks to my guest this week, who is Dr. Kelly Seaman of Aqualabs and MedCan support. And of course, thank you to you, for listening. That was the Relaxed Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening and please do join us again next time.